we've talked about where we're about to move into a building. Um, some people have different images and ideas of what it constitutes to be a church. I don't know if you've ever come across this. I've been involved in, in uh, Christian ministry since I was 19. Uh, and I've come across a lot of churches and groups and organizations and done lots of work with lots of different groups of people. And, and it's amazing people's ideas of church and how church should be and what it should look like and, and, and so on. There's a lot of ideas out there about what church should look like. Um, some years back, I remember uh, being in Brisbane and um, at that time I was an associate pastor of a church in Ballina and we were averaging on Sundays we could have up to 200 people in our church. It was quite a, a big church. We had a, a big setup with the music and it was, it was uh, quite... Um, lively and a lot of good things were happening and a lot of lives were being changed and people were getting saved nearly every Sunday. We were seeing people come forward and wanting to give their life to Christ and we were doing new Christians classes with them and all sorts of stuff. It was a fantastic, fantastic season of life and time. But I remember going up to Brisbane during that time and visiting some friends up there and these were friends that we'd been involved in ministry for a long time, missions overseas and so on. And they began to talk to me about house churches and they started to tell me how Church really shouldn't be like it is now. We shouldn't be having big gatherings and meeting in buildings and so on. It's all about houses. Everybody should be meeting in homes and you should be doing small groups in homes because that's what the early church did. And they had a very convincing argument and they were telling me scriptures and things and they even had a whole library. I remember one of my friends taking me into his room. He's got a library of books about it and all these books that are basically saying the way that you do church is you have to do small groups and you have to do house churches. Forget all the other stuff and so on. And it was very conv- a lot of that stuff was very convincing and scriptures and all this sort of stuff. And as I said, the problem at the time was it all sounded great and wonderful, but I was also a part of a church that was quite large that was meeting on a Sunday. In a, in a, we were still meeting in a rented hall at the time, but we were seeing people get saved every week. We were seeing discipleship processes in people's lives. Uh, and we, we, we had over 200 people coming on Sundays. Um, things were working for us. But these guys were adamant that, no, this is the way that you do it. Not long after that, uh, me and my wife were, were, were feeling that we needed to resign from the church we were a part of, which we did. For no bad reason, it was just timing and seasons in God, and so we resigned. Um, I ended up going off and finding work elsewhere and, and uh, outside of, of, of a church context. I uh, became a manager of a bottle shop and was managing bottle shops for a number of years up until I basically went, came back into this. But at the beginning of that process, we had other friends of ours that were not going to a big church because they were a bit, they'd been reading books and were a bit burnt out on big church and that's not how you do it. You've got to have this little... So they were inviting us, come on, let's start something, let's do this little church thing, little house church thing. So I remember saying to Jackie at the time, I don't have a lot of faith for this, I don't know how it's going to work um, and I'll get to my reasons why later. But we'll go along anyway. So we went along and they decided we just want to meet in a small group. There's to be no leadership, no structure. We're just going to trust the Holy Spirit and see where we go, you know. And so we, we met in this house and we started doing this. I think it lasted for about four meetings and that was the end of it. Fizzled out and never happened again. And a lot of those people then went into hibernation. Some of them still don't fellowship anywhere. Some of them are just starting to dabble themselves back into the larger context of church and so on. But what's interesting is that people look at the church and the question that most people ask, and I, and I know this because I can go to Kurong, I can go to Word, I can look at bookstores and see, there seems to be this big uh, uh, topic of what should the church look like? How should we do church? 
You know, should church be done in a building on a Sunday when everyone comes together and we have some worship and teaching and, and, and or should church be done in homes and, and should we be sitting in homes? There are some churches now in the States where they do video links where they've got one big church and they've planted churches in other cities. Instead of putting a pastor there, they just gather and watch a big screen and the preacher preaches and he's preaching in 18 locations at once. And There's all kinds of ways that church is getting done. My concern at the moment is that The question we're asking is the wrong question. We're focusing on what uh, the church looks like. How is the church functioning? How is the church structuring itself? And I think the question that we're asking is wrong. And if we're asking the wrong question, we're going to come to the wrong conclusions. We're going to be fighting for the wrong things. We're going to be trying to gather the wrong bits of information, information that at the end of the day are not going to give us what we think it's going to give us. So how many of you have ever read the Bible, and you read the book of Acts in particular, which, which is a, a history book. It's the first 30 years of the Christian church. That's what the book of Acts is. It's a history of the first 30 years of the, of the Christian church. If you're like me, I read that book, and I see some of the stuff that's going on there. Now, some of the stuff going on there went on there because of a particular cultural context. Okay, because of a particular... I mean, these guys were persecuted. Christianity in its early days was considered an illegal cult illegal cult, punishable by death in some situations. People were taken and physically fed to lions and wild beasts and so on. Um, and so part of, because of that reason, obviously they weren't allowed to go and plant a, build a big building and put a cross on it. Why would you do that? They'd just wait for everyone to gather, run in there with the, the lions and, and, and the Christians are all gone. So there were reasons why in the early days of Christianity that they didn't meet in buildings. And then if you look at church history, you'll see around 300 AD, um, church got legalized and, and they were okay and they were allowed to build buildings. And, and there's a whole bunch of history things there. And people study this and read this and we're looking at what did the church do? Because we think that the way the church structured itself and what they did is why they got the results that they got and why God was able to do what he did. I read this book and I've got to be honest with you, there is a hunger and a passion inside of me to see what these guys were writing about. I am praying for the day that a sick person walks in here and God, by his power, heals that person. Not, not, not some fake, uh, you know, don't go to a doctor though because we might lose our excitement if the doctor says it didn't really happen, just, you know. No, no, I want verifiable, dead set miracles because I believe if God can say, let there be and there is, it's not that hard to heal a physical body. Amen? God can do this. Is it happening? It is happening right now. Around the world, in different places, it's happening. Is it happening right here in this room right now? I don't know. Maybe it is. But uh, the, th- the, the reality of the fact is this. I see Peter and John going to the temple, which the Bible says they went to every day. By the way, this was after they got saved. They went to the temple every day. Imagine if I said, right, yeah, we're going to start having church every single day. You guys would flip and go to another church and think it's too much. Well, these guys did it every day. That's another, that's another message another time. Not that I'm saying we're going to start doing that. I'm just saying they're too busy for us. Um, Peter and John, they walk up to the, the cripple at the temple in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, I think it is, three, 3. They walk up to him and they lay hands on him and they say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And they grab him by the hand and the Bible says that they pull him up to his feet. Yeah, everyone know that story? They didn't say, well, um, you, know, you know, you don't feel anything, just go away and just in faith and just believe that God. No, they, they, they saw stuff. They saw stuff. And I think the church today, we talk a big game, we talk about a big God, and we talk about all these great, wonderful things, and we say to the world, you need, you need, you need, but do we display that? In a court of law, a lot of our claims would get kicked out. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually believe this book. I don't believe there's a problem with God. I can't find a use-by date there. 
I can't find anywhere here where God said, right, once you get to this point, I'm not going to be interested in intermingling with, pe- with the world anymore, intermingling with people. I'm going to stop healing people. I'm going to stop setting people free. I'm going to stop confronting the powers of darkness. I'm going to stop. I can't find a use-by date anywhere in this book. But yet, it's easy to begin to lose that sense of expectation, to begin to lose that sense of passion and desire, to see what these people saw and just unconsciously acknowledge and accept the fact that, oh, we just don't see it. So we're happy. Just Let's just gather together and let's just sing a few songs and let's worship God. I'm happy for God to, to be you know, my own little world, my own God. But there was so much more to the early church. They were out there preaching the gospel, seeing signs and wonders. Most of the miracles you read about in the Bible, by the way, did not take place in a meeting like this. Most of them took place outside in the streets, in the marketplaces, in the job, job sector. That, that's where these... That's where, so, so that takes a lot of passion and that takes a lot of faith for these individuals to be sitting at their desk one day and having the person next to them say, geez, my neck's sore. Hang on a second. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And it's one thing to do it here. I mean, anyone sick here? Oh, I'll pray for you. No worries. Let's all pray together. It's, it's, it's easy in one context and sense to do it here with a bunch of believers, but when you're talking about taking that out there to a world that don't accept what we accept and believe what we believe and trusting that God will come through and do what he said he could do, that's a whole other level of faith. That's a whole other level. And my concern is this. We are asking the wrong questions. For me, the issue is not what did the early church look like. Now, by the way, when I say the word early church, I, I, I don't mean as in... Sometimes when we say early church, people, it's this invisible line. That was the early church. This is now the later church. Now, once again, I don't see anywhere in that book where it gives us the opportunity to say that church is different to our church today. Nowhere at all does it say that it became a point where now the church is different. This is the early church. So the, the early church did things, but the late, you guys don't have to do that. If we're going to live like that, then that pretty much gives us the opportunity to wipe a whole bunch of the commands of Jesus because he said them specifically to these earlier guys. You know, that means that we can justify not praying for the sick anymore. We can justify not sharing our faith. We can justify all these things now because it was the early church. Now, I didn't have a chance to do it, but what I wanted to do today was bring a picture of me when I was a child. I'll tell you what, I was a good-looking kid. I, I don't say that in an arrogant way. It's just fact I wasn't. Okay. What do you say, Jack? Some things haven't changed? Okay. So I was going to put a picture of myself up there uh, as a child, which I, which I found, my sister found and, 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 and said to me one time. And then I was going to put a picture of me up there today. You know, same handsome dude. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The difference between the early picture of me and the later picture of me is... Okay, I've, I've had a few different life experiences that may have shaped this person I am now. I have grown and matured in some areas, probably more immature in other areas, perhaps. Who would know? God and God alone. Life has shaped me. But here's the thing. The DNA of who I am hasn't changed from that day. Yeah? Your DNA, from the day you were born is your DNA. Who you were then, you are today. You might outwork it a bit different. You might respond differently to things around you. You might have more expectation, less expectation, more excitement, less excitement, more life's dealt you some blows and so on. But at the very core of who you are, your DNA has not changed. And we need to understand as we read the book of Acts, that's the DNA of the church. That's our DNA. That hasn't changed. So, We need to dispel any ideas and myths in our head that when we go back and we read that book, that we're reading about some exclusive other club 
that was maybe more spiritually advanced. I'll tell you what, these guys probably didn't have at their fingertips one quarter of the revelation knowledge that's available to us today. They didn't have a Kurong bookstore. They didn't have a, you know, JerusalemOnline.com, you know, Jesus website. They didn't have any of this stuff. Most of them, the first 30 years, they were just getting this letter written. And then that letter, they didn't have this full, complete, vast array of knowledge access at their fingertips. Yeah, we've got, how many Bibles have you got in your house? Five? Yeah, I've probably got more than that. Too. I've got every different translation and type. I've got heaps of this stuff. How many Christian websites do you know about that you could go to if you want to? How many podcasts could you listen to in a week if you had the time? How many YouTube channels do you go to and you listen to Francis Chan or these different people? How, it, knowledge is at a premium for us. We've got so much access to so much information. So in many respects, we're way more advanced than what these guys were. But yet, I still look at them and go, God, take all the advancements away from me because what I want is what these guys had. I want to see what these guys saw. I want to have the faith that these guys had. I want to have the passion that these guys had because I still believe that there's so much more to the church than we're tapping into I still believe there's so much more to the kingdom of God than we're accessing. And I believe God wants to do so much more amongst... I believe God wants to do so much more in my life than I'm allowing him the space to do. Why am I not allowing... I don't know. That's part of the Christian journey. It's part of the growth process. I'm trying to work all that out. But, But I'm trying to give him as much access so that, God, you can do whatever it is that you want to do in my life because I believe it's a good thing you want to do. It might be painful at times. It might take sacrifice on my part, although I don't think I'll ever sacrifice more than he did to give it to me. Weigh it up a little bit. And I think as a church, I look at us, particularly in the West, and I go, man, we're arguing and bickering about the wrong things. The, the, the real question is not what should church look like. Here's the real question. Who should the church be? Who are we? So over the next few weeks, I want to go back and look at the, particularly the first two, three chapters of Acts, a few, draw a few things out of there about who are the early church. Not what did they do, but who were they? Who were this group of people? You know, if you go to Acts chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, it says this. It says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Now, if I was to ask you this basic question, as a church, do you feel like in the eyes of the community we are esteemed highly? It's just a question. Why were they esteemed highly? Maybe it had something to do with early on, the verse 12. There was power in the church. The church spoke with a voice of authority. The church didn't just talk a big game, they played a good game. They weren't just all talk. They weren't just running out saying to people, you need Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They were showing Jesus to the people. There was a connection between the power and the authority of God and who they were and what they brought to the table 
within the context of the world they were in. And they were highly esteemed. I often ask that question. I think, God, am, am I highly esteemed? Now, there's always going to be people that are you know, going to mock us because we're religious people and that's always going to happen. But I don't think the whole world's like that. I still think that people acknowledge when a group has integrity. You know, the, the, the church world may get mocked, but think about the Salvation Army. The average Aussie loves the Salvos. Why? Because they're doing something. They're doing something. They're helping people, putting their hands in their pocket, they're putting their feet on the floor, their hands to the plough, and they are doing stuff. And so, to a certain degree, they are highly esteemed amongst the society in which we live in. I wonder when people think about a rise as we go forward, are they going to say these people are highly esteemed among the people? This church is highly esteemed amongst its community. Not because it's a group of people, but because there's apparent authority upon them. When they speak and when they do, stuff happens. Just a challenge. Acts 17 verse 6 says this. The disciples went into a city and caused a big ruckus and the religious leaders wanted to kill them. And here's what they said. They went looking for them. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brothers to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here as well. When was the last time you heard of a church going into a community and the community complaining that these guys have turned the world upside down? What they actually did was they turned the world right side up. That's what they were actually doing. But what, that's their way of acknowledging they've come on in here and they're doing such whether we like it or not, they are doing things that are so monumentally authoritative and big and powerful that we are going to say it's turning the whole world upside down. They are, the world could not ignore the church because of the presence of God upon them, the power of God upon them. None of that came about because of what they did, the way they structured. It comes about, I believe, because of who those people were. So over the next few weeks, I want to just have a little bit of a look at who the early church were. Now, I don't want to go to books. I don't want to go to Google. I don't want to go to all those places. How many of you have ever played Chinese Whispers? Anyone ever played that game, Chinese Whispers? You know, where you start here and you start with a, a whisper of something and then it goes around. Ever notice by the time you get to the end, it's just so wacky, it's not funny, you know? It's like over here, it starts off with, you know, Jordan needs new shoes for football and ends up with Sally's eating sea worms and slugs and, you know... It's just, it gets lost in translation as it goes further along. So if you want to know what the original message was about, what's the easiest thing to do? Just go back to the start. Just go back to the beginning and go, what was the message? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back, we're going to have a bit of a look at the book of Acts, and let's, let's seriously look at this question, not of what the early church did. Because you know what? I've been in countries where, where house churches are thriving. They're thriving. But they're thriving not because of that's what the, the, the structure. They're thriving because the people in them have something. They've got something. I've been to, to places, and you can see places here. Look at Hillsong Church. I mean, look, whether you like or don't, whatever, that's your business. But they're a big, thriving church, and there's some wonderful things happening. Media will always tell us the bad things, but there's some good stuff happening in some of these big churches. It's not, not perfect, but the small house churches aren't all perfect too. But there's some good things happening. And it's not necessarily because they've got great strength. It's because some of the people in there, it's who the people are. It's who the people are. And so that's what we want to look at 
That's the question. It's not what did the early church do, early church per se. It's not what did they do, who were they? And that's the question we need to approach the book of Acts with and say, okay, well, who were these questions? You see, the, the Acts church got the results they got and they saw the things they saw and they experienced the things they experienced, not because of what they did, but because of who they were. If we're looking at what they did, it might be hard. There's a lot of things we've got to do. We've got to tweak, maybe got to get money, got to move. Like, if it's about who they are, guess what? That's within reach of all of us. That's within reach of every single person in this room, myself included. So I want to have a bit of time to look at that. First thing I want to say this morning, and we'll just get on to one point, we'll move on real quickly. Number one, they were personally devoted to spiritual growth. They were personally devoted to spiritual growth. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says this. Now when they heard this, this is the first sermon that's preached. Peter gets up and preaches to all the people. This is a whole bunch of men. And he gets in their face, by the way. He doesn't say to them this really nice... He says to them, here's the deal. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who you killed, this has happened because of the guy that you murdered. He personalizes to the crowd. And listen to their response. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do? What shall we do? The very birthing of the church was people taking responsibility for their own personal spiritual destiny. They weren't being begged. They weren't being coerced. They, weren't being, they were the ones saying to the preachers, what have we got to do? Wouldn't it be awesome on a Sunday morning to be up here preaching and in the middle of it to have somebody come running down, fall in the face and go, what have I got to do to get saved? Instead of standing here feeling like you've got to play some nice music and you've got to try to drug people out and make it all happen and coerce and so on. There was just something about God there on this church, on these early believers, 120 people it started with, that when they got up and spoke, the, the crowds were saying to them, what have we got to do? What have we got to do? That's a bunch of people who were saying from the start, this whole deal is my personal responsibility. I want to know this God you're talking about. I want to know who he is. I want to know how to get to know him. And it didn't stop there. Go on to Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. Now, I read from the New King James Version. This is the only version that words it this way. It says they continued steadfastly. In all other versions that you read, it'll say they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. To what? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing of meals and prayer. Once again, forget the four elements they devoted themselves to. The important thing is this. They devoted who? Themselves. There was a passion within them to want to grow in their relationship with God. They wanted to grow. You know, sometimes I wonder whether we spend so much time energy, resource, money in the modern Western church in particular, trying to get people to want to grow. There's a billion books that we're going to keep feeding and feeding because we just want... These guys said, no, no, we'll devote ourselves to growth. We will take personal responsibility to grow. And it's amazing what happened out of this church that we see the miracles we see, we see the growth, we see the boldness of the people going from town to town, village to village, talking about their faith. They devoted themselves to growth. Every one of us in here have a Bible. Well, most of us. If you don't have a Bible, come see me. I'll get you one. You know? We all have time to read it. 
We've all got a bit of time to pray. We can. We might not always use it for those reasons, but we've got time. Let's not say we don't have time to, to seek God or to be with. We do. You know? These guys were going to church every day. You, you read, it, read the early part of Acts. It says they went to the temple daily. Sometimes we um and ah about, you know, the average Western Christian goes to church 2.4% uh, 2.4 times a month. That's the average Western Christian. Doesn't matter what the church is, you go right across the board, the average stats in the West are 2.4 times a month. So that means that this month they might come three times and miss one or next month they might come two and miss two. That's not what these guys were doing. They devoted themselves to their own spiritual growth and they understood if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, there's important things we need to do. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to devote, I need to devote myself and make sure I get in this Word. I need to devote myself to fellowship. I need to make sure I, I'm, I'm hanging around with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. We rub off on each other. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. We can, we can, we can, we can be honest and bold enough at times to bring correction. I think you've got to stop hanging out with that. You're putting yourself in a dangerous zone here. You keep doing that. They took communion together. Meals, shared the Lord's Supper. To me, the Lord's Supper is about, it's a reminding, it's a focal point. Let's bring ourselves back to what's important in life, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. They kept reminding themselves about that. And prayer. They would pray. These, These four key elements, in my opinion, they're the four key elements to growth. If you don't do those four things, then, then, then you're going to struggle to grow in your faith. Any one of us are going to struggle to grow in our faith. And the problem is because people don't want to devote themselves to that. The church spends so much time running around feeling like I've got to keep spoon feeding everybody. Wouldn't it be great? And Paul talks about this. He says, I wish I could come to you with more meaty stuff, but uh, you're still children. I've still got to give you milk. I'm not having a go at anyone here. We're not talking about, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the church. I'm looking at that, examining myself, going, well, where am I at with this guy? Because these guys devoted themselves. They didn't, they didn't need, as a pastor, I don't need to go to conferences every second week to get jacked up and pumped up. And then when I go a few days without someone pumping me up, all these spiritual things, just my passion dies off. Then they've got to get pumped back up again. There's got to be a personal devotion, a personal commitment to growth. And that's what the early church had. They devoted themselves. How many of you know you can't devote somebody else to anything? Have you ever tried to devote somebody else to something? Any of you parents ever tried to devote your kids to study? You ever tried that? You tried to devote them to studying and make them devote. You, I can't devote my kids to study. You've got to devote yourself. It's your choice. Any of you, um, you know, husbands, you ever tried to devote your wives to fishing? <laughs> Daniel, have you ever tried to devote? And it worked? It's still not working. You can't do it. You can't devote somebody else to something. How many of you wives have tried to devote your husbands to putting a toilet seat down? Every time. Not just occasionally when you're pumping them up, but every time. You know? How many of you have tried to devote your husbands to making the bed when they're the last one out of it? So um, that's for you. That's for you, Jackie. I threw that one in there for you. We've got to learn to devote ourselves. It's personal choice. The, the challenge for me is this. How devoted am I? person. I've got to have a good look at myself and go, how devoted am I? Because if I want to see what the early church saw, if I want to walk in the paragon like that, if I want to see the growth, the miracles, if I want to walk up to people and, and sit at my, you know, out there and see someone at a coffee shop and hear God speak to me, I want to know that I'm in that faith place, that I'm devoted to God. I want to be able to know that God, if you say that to me, I'm going to respond, I'm going to walk up, I'm going to pray and, you know, I, I want to be that person. 
And I want to be in that group of people. I want to be a part of that fellowship, a part of that church. But I've got to devote myself to God. I don't want to feel like I've got to constantly be pumped up and jacked up by other people. Now, there's a place where we always encourage each other. I'm not talking about encouragement. Please don't take this to an extreme and go away and say, Al said we should never encourage people. If you need encouragement, something wrong with you. I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let's look at who these people were. They were a people who were devoted to God, devoted themselves to him. That's who they were. Now, let me take you to a scripture that proves to me that if Jesus was pastoring a church in Ganelaba, you would rather come to mine. Do you want me to prove it to you? I'm going to show you. If Jesus opened up a church next door, I reckon I'd fill the church quicker than him. And here's why. Go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I love this passage. John chapter 6. I want to read verse 60 through to verse 68. Watch this. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. He's just said to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. And they're going, whoa, man, that's pretty hardcore. That's pretty heavy, you know? In other words, if you don't share in my life and post-cross share in my death, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. If you don't want to do that, he said, you can't be my disciple. This is Jesus speaking to the crowds, all right? And watch what goes on from here. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his, his disciples complained about this. His disciples were complaining about it. He said, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Literally means, does this make you want to stumble? Is this a stumbling block for you? And verse 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by my Father. Watch this, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now can you imagine a modern pastor allowing that to happen? If I was preaching here and halfway through my message, you went, this is just too hard, and got up and walked out. You know what I would want to do? Oh, hang on, no, no, come back. I'm not, sorry, you misinterpreted me. That's not what I meant. Sorry, it's not what I meant. Sorry, come back. Because it's all about numbers. It's all about big amounts of people. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry, come on. No. Sorry, you must have interpreted it the wrong way. No, no, Jesus just watched them walk away. And you think that's not bad enough. Watch what he does next. Jesus, verse 67, he then turns to the 12 and he says, do you guys want to go as well? (laughs) What? I have never seen that in a church growth book. And I've read lots of them. I've never once seen that. Here's what you do. Get up, give a really, really tough teaching. When people walk away, turn to your leadership and go, you guys want to go as well? There's the door. I've never read that as a church growth thing. You know why? Because I don't think it really matters too much about the numbers. It's not the size, the structures, it's the quality of the people. Jesus turns and says to them, do you want to go as well? He didn't chase after them. He wasn't insecure about the whole thing. Why? Because he understood something. I'm going to build my church on who people are. I'm going to build my church on people who are devoted to me. 
People who are devoted to God. Look at their response. I love their response to Jesus. Verse 68, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Back here, they're grumbling and complaining about what he's saying. They're going, this is tough. This is hard. But they've made the decision, yeah, it might be tough, might be hard, but we are devoted to you and we're going nowhere because where else is there to go? It might be tough and hard. It might be a bit of a cost, but where else are we going to actually go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else can give life? Who else created the universe? Who else said, let there be and there was? Where are we going to go? There's nowhere to go. They lived with this realisation that having encountered Jesus, there was only really one choice in life. And that was pure devotion to God. Pure devotion to God. Selling ourselves out totally to him. I read this um, story this week about a, a pastor, Paul Scanlon. Some of you may know him. He used to pastor a, a rather large church in England. And I read this story. He said this. He was talking about a moment in his own ministry, which he found really defining. He, he bumped into an ex-Baptist pastor who pastored for 20 years. He resigned and then he went and bought a pub. Resigned and went and bought a pub. And Paul was asking him what happened and why he left his church and so on. Here's what he said. He said that he spent 20 years, in, this is his term, by the way, I don't necessarily agree with it, but he said, I spent 20 years in soul-destroying ministry that left both him and his wife on prescription medication. He described how for 20 years he tried to persuade people to get involved, but they refused. He became worn out from the huge effort required to convince, persuade, remind, and sometimes beg people to do the things which needed to be done. Paul asked him what he enjoyed most about being a pub owner, and this is what he said. He said, I love this job because my drinkers are devoted all by themselves. He explained how he never had to call his absent drinkers to come back, never had to call his customers to assure them they were missed, nor did he have to inspire them to part with their money. He said, my drinkers come early and stay late, but in 20 years of ministry, the church did neither. Again, I'm not saying that as a reflection of us. I, I love you guys, and I think, but I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself. I don't think that we've got a building, just have a building. I don't think we're moving up there in Ganelabar being planted there by God just so that we can be another group of not really, really nice, integrous, honest, good people with a really, really nice building and a great plan. I think we're there for more than that. I feel like in the heart of my Heavenly Father and your Heavenly Father, there's a longing for more. I think God wants to do more. But what God does, He does through people. I think there's more that He wants to do. I think there's more of His character and nature that He wants to show, but He shows it through people. There's more of his power and his authority that he wants to reveal on planet Earth, but he does that through his people. And he's looking for people who are devoted to him. Not devoted by somebody else, but people who are personally devoted to God, personally devoted to growth. And that's my challenge, I guess, this morning I want to leave us with. I want to ask you the question, and you can only answer this. Have you devoted yourself to God? Not have you devoted yourself to, you know, coming to a religious meeting as much as I think it's wonderful and it's part of devotion. Not have you devoted yourself to, you know, 
doing a morning tea or doing sound. Or, these are all wonderful things and they're all part of our devotion. But if we're doing these things before we've devoted ourselves to God, they will eventually destroy us. You'll eventually get sick and tired of it. You'll become critical, you'll become judgmental, and you'll eventually not want to do anything because you don't see it as service to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8.5, Paul says this, I'll finish with this. He was taking up an offering amongst the Corinthian church. There was a strategy in what he was doing. There was a famine coming in Jerusalem and the Jewish Christians still didn't quite believe that the Gentiles were on board with them. So Paul, being the smart man he was, he went around to the Gentile churches and said, let's raise, take up an offering. If you Gentiles financially give to these Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, that will communicate, that will show them that you really are on board. It will help join the, the, the Jew and Gentile believers together. He was very strategic in what he did. But he makes this statement. He says, when we came to collect the money, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. See, when we give ourselves fully devoted to God first, our acts of service, our charities, our giving, everything else is a positive. It's a blessing to us. It's a blessing to the world around us. If we haven't given ourselves fully devoted to him first, that's when people get burnt out, critical, judgmental. Before you know it, 20 years of service, they're walking away from the church, blaming God, blaming everybody else. And I think, I saw people in the book of Acts that devoted themselves to God and then walk into a lion's pit. I know there are people today in other countries that have devoted themselves to God and are being murdered for that very faith. Right now, as we sit here, there are people in other countries who have devoted themselves to God and there is no turning back from that. There is no other option. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro about the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. I want to be a part of a church where our hearts are first and foremost loyal to God. We are devoted to God. The first thing I see in the Bible when I look at the book of Acts about who the early church were, they were devoted to spiritual growth. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for your word, God, that it's, it's unchanging. God, your word is unfailing. Lord, I thank you that you are a loving, uh, gracious Father, that, uh, Lord, you, you love us unequivocally, God. There's no full stop. There's no end to it. You love us. Lord, we could make a choice today to walk out of here and say, well, that was a whole load of rubbish and I'm just happy and content to uh, keep being spoon-fed or I'm just happy and content to just pop in on a Sunday and that can be my little dose of God. But we could do that and you would not change your love for us. You would still love us. But God, I think there's more to it than just having you love us. We want you to use us. We want to co-work with you, God. We want you to show yourself strong on our behalf. And Lord, before you do that, Scripture is very clear that we need to show ourselves strong on your behalf as well. So God, I just pray for each of us in this room, Lord, that we would take stock of our own walk with you, our own journey, God, and that we would ask ourselves the question, am I committed to my own spiritual growth? And we'd sit back, God, with honest uh, integrity and we'd have a look at our life and we'd make an honest judgment, God, make an honest assessment. Am I really committed to my own personal growth in you? And Father, I pray you would continue to take us on this journey, God, where 
We're all here for a reason, God. We're in this church together. We're a family here together for a purpose, God. And I believe with all my heart that you are building a church, God, that will not just be a a bunch of great, nice, integrous, honest people, God, but I, I, I just believe that there's a supernatural element to what you're doing. And that, Father, you want to, uh, Lord, unleash your power and your authority upon this earth, God. And you want to heal the sick, God. You want to raise the dead. You want to set captives free. You want to open prison doors. You want to open blinded eyes. And, Father, we want, uh, God, to position ourselves and be the kind of people that when you decide to do that, that you would choose us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We will uh, see you in Connect Groups this week. If you're in Connect Groups, if not, maybe I've got a piece of paper there and we can put you in connect groups. If not, somebody's going to see you this week, hopefully somebody in the church. If not, it'll be somebody outside the church, but someone will definitely see you. It's bound to happen. You can't stop that.